Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. As we continue studying through the book of Psalms, we uh, periodically pick this book up together and continue going through it. Uh, John Carroll previously began this series, and we've continued it, uh, joying uh, in these Psalms as we have studied them, each one pointing to Christ. Hear the word of the Lord to the choir master. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever And never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish. And leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him, For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go down to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is a hard and a frightening psalm. We ask that as we hear its minor key and as it sends shudders through our soul, that we might find the eyes of faith with which to see all the praise and all the glory in His name. Amen. Psalm 49 is a bit odd. It's a proverb of sorts. It's a wisdom 
psalm. It's a philosophical piece. And it enchants us by saying, come, come, listen to what I say. If you look from verse 1 down to verse 20, you will find no specific event of redemptive history identified. There's nothing about Moses. There's nothing about the kings or the judges before them. There's nothing about God and His salvific work in explicit, tangible, historical senses. It dwells instead with a universal problem among humankind. Life, its temporal nature, and the folly of riches in the face of death. And in that sense, it's relevant to each and every one. For you see, here we learn this truth from this inspired text. Only God can redeem. Only God can redeem the life of a man. It begins by calling us to recognize that God's works are good. Uh, The opening verses tell us that God gives life to all. It's a call, a call to worship, a call to listen. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high and rich and poor together. This psalm calls the whole world to come and to gather round and listen. The term world here is a bit unusual. It includes the whole sphere of transitory life. It's a psalm of universal import. And that means that each one of us, sitting or standing in this room, this psalm is relevant to you and to your life and to your future. It's reminding us that we are a part of the created order which God gives breath. He gives us breath and strength to face the day And for this good work of the Lord, that He's our Maker and our Sustainer, we owe Him all. We owe Him adoration and praise. The psalm also tells us that God offers wisdom to all who will listen. Verse 3, My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. And so it's not just somebody with their lips moving. This, this psalm by the sons of Korah, composed and sung by them, is an occasion on which God is giving His true and special word to His people. We can listen and gain wisdom from on high. You know, it is true. Some answers, my friend, are blowing in the wind. But not all of them. Not all of the answers blow in the wind. The wind blows and it tells us about the greatness of God, His power and might, His divine nature is sketched out there before us in the Texas sky. But general revelation is not enough to know the way of salvation. Thank God He tells us more than just what is whispered to us in the wind. He tells us in His Word about His eternal purposes, about His Son, and He tells us about the great covenant of grace in which He dies as our substitute for us and for our salvation. Oh, we must remember to take the psalmist to heart. He calls us to seek wisdom from above, to listen and hang on every word, rather than merely from the insights of men. And so we're reminded here 
that God knows all things. That God knows better than we ourselves know. And that God's Word and God's will are absolutely fundamental to living a life in fellowship and glory and joy with Him. That's why the Christian should be in submission to the written Word of God. Because, you see, it is God speaking to it to us. It is His record. It is that which He has delivered to the saints by the power of His Spirit, by the will of the Father and the Son. The Word from the Father sees to it that the Spirit is sent so that we might have the words from the prophets and apostles carried along of old and protected in His providence that we might have it in our laps. Oh, He is a fool who reasons against what God says, against what God orders, against what God appoints. And I don't care how high your IQ, how great your SAT or ACT, if you reason against the declared word of the infinite God, then you're not wise. And in the end, you will lose. You may be the most respected member of the community. But without wisdom from above, all of your cleverness is in vain. The sons of Korah teach us that God should be hearkened to. But they also teach us that God gives freedom. Freedom from fear. Even freedom from the fear of powerful and mighty men. Verses 5 and 6 say, Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Wealth and power oftentimes go hand in hand. And it is natural and in a fallen world normal to fear them both on some level. But the psalmists here remind us that God gives comfort and protection to his children who face such times of danger if they but flee and trust in him. This is a call to practical trust, not just to a heartfelt emotion, but heartfelt emotion lined up with the reality that God has promised in His covenant love to us, that He will never leave us or forsake us, that He will never leave us without hope or a way of escape, that God protects His people. And so we begin to see and to hear the strains of the covenant of grace coming from the lyre of the sons of Korah. Oh, yes, This is a psalm about a common human condition and a common human reality that we all face. But it calls us to something higher and to something better, even Jesus Christ our Lord. But there's a contrast which is drawn throughout this psalm. Yes, God is the one whose works are good, but man's works are They're not so good. Verse 10 teaches us that a man cannot even keep his own life, our own lives, our own breath and our own strength is not even under our control. For he sees 
that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. We cannot keep our life and we cannot keep our wealth. You know, it is listed as a Christian duty in the Westminster Larger Catechism that as believers and and even as humankind, it is our responsibility to work and to work hard and to gather, to gather goods, to gather wealth, to gather money, to gather it and keep it to the glory of God. It also says that it's our job in loving the Lord to give it away to his glory as well. Uh, The temptation to put confidence in riches is constant for humankind because of our finitude, because of the limited nature of our horizon, because of the worries that we face in a fallen world of who might do what and what catastrophe might strike. And we are wise to be careful and to make sure that we fulfill all of our responsibilities to family, to friends, and to community. Oh, God's works are good, but man's works are small and often so twisted. Do we not find grave difficulty in pressing against the temptation to put our confidence in riches? You know what? It's not just older folks that need to worry about that. I remember when I was about the age of some boys on, oh, the next to last row or so, my parents, for better or worse, had a very rigorous allowance system. And I can remember when I got 25 cents, a quarter is my allowance. And I would get that allowance doled into my hand by my mother and I would thank her and jump on my bike. And what would I do? I would head for Edwards Five and Dime just down the street. And I would go in and I would walk up and down every aisle and I would feel that coin in my pocket and I would think, now, now what can I get for a quarter? You know, to a little guy, that was a king's ransom in that day. And that shows you how old I am. (laughs) And I'll never forget the day my father said to me, and there were strange words because, you see, he had MS. He was in a wheelchair. He... He'd never been in Edwards Five and Dime. He'd never seen me in that place and the way I paced and held that coin. And he looked at me and he said, burning a hole in your pocket, isn't it, son? I had to learn, even as a child, not to put my confidence in riches. You know, real wealth in this life is not found in the abundance of all that you may possess. It's found in godliness with contentment. And you can have that with or without a quarter in your pocket, in your life. But the psalmist goes on and says in verse 11, their graves are their homes forever. Wow, talk about significant pieces of real estate. Their dwelling places to all generations though they called lands by their own names. What a strange thing to put in a psalm. You know, I sometimes have uh, enjoyed going and visiting graveyards. 
I don't know if you've ever had that privilege, but when I was at Clemson and could not find a place to have my quiet time because of all the noise in the dorm, just down the hill, right next to Death Valley, that, that place of uh, great grief and heartbreak for all visiting football teams that came to our fair land, right next to it was the old Clemson Cemetery. And there were some of the great and the good that were buried there. And there, some of them had uh, not only a tombstone, but a little bench. And, and you could go. And you could take that little stroll, and it was under a nice shade of trees. And when it wasn't raining, you could sit there and read your Bible. And you could look at all those folks whose tombs were a testimony to the fact that there is an end to the days of men in life as we now experience it on this earth. And we will one day give an account. Most interesting real estate, the tomb. Man can have homes. Man can have land. Man can have an abundance of all of these things, and at the end of the day, it slips through his fingers. You know, even who you want to get it doesn't necessarily take possession of the place. But then the psalmist goes on and says, though they called the lands by their own names, You know, some are on a quest for something to last, something to linger. There may be a a settled trust with thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions in it. and, And you know, it will. It will come to an end. No human bank is eternal. No trust is eternal. Most clever state governments have them all end by at least a hundred years or less. But we always like to see our name on something. You, you might give money to a school and get your name on the side of the building and it will last until you pass and no one remembers your gift and then they'll put somebody else's name on it. And the students will curse their name instead of yours. The psalmist is speaking here of a truism. In the 16th century in Scotland, John Maitland of Lethington rose to obtain the title, it's an august title, you know, Keeper of the Privy Seal of Scotland. Now, how would that, how would you like that to be your title, Keeper of the Privy Seal? Sounds like something you stamp on the bathroom, but I'm told that's not the case. It was held only by one of the great officers of the state. It was quite a posh position. And by all human measures, John Maitland was set. He was set for life. He was set for death. And then a little dispute arose over the crown. And he found himself in the middle of a struggle which turned sour. And so he lost everything. John Maitland of Lethington lost his wealth, his lands, his power, and even his name was taken away from him. No longer was he John Maitland of Lethington. He was only John. He was imprisoned. If imprisonment was not enough, he was exiled outside of the sphere of civilization off in someone's home in a far-off area. But then 
in the strange providence of God, things turned a second time. And John was pardoned. And he regained his title. And he ended up receiving an extra honor, the greatest title in all the land in that day. Lord Maitland of Thurlstein. And if I could roll my R's, then you would know how august that title really is. With all the rights and privileges thereunto appertaining. The point is simply this. It illustrates what this psalm teaches. That man cannot even keep his own name. Even that is not ultimately under our control. Man can't keep his pomp and circumstance either. Man and his pomp, it says in verse 12, will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. And so we have that old psalm that reminds us, Put no confidence in princes, nor for help on man depend. Man from dust to dust returning, and his purposes shall end. Cemeteries are very democratic places. Death is the great leveler. But you see, in the cemetery, there's another testimony crying out to us, which this psalmist points to as well. Man cannot even keep his own form, shape, and substance. Verse 14 says, Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. Man from dust to dust returning, and his purposes shall end. The whole thought of corruption is repugnant to us. But that that is what sin does to us. That is what sin does to our kind, to our bodies and our own flesh. They can dress you up, but ultimately it makes no difference. It's good and right to have a proper burial. I encourage it because of the Imago Dei. We respect the human body, which has the mark of the image of God upon it, even after the soul has departed. It still is a part of what is all the man. But apart from that moral norm, it makes little metaphysical difference at the end of the day. For only God can restore our bodies. Only God can make the corruptible take on incorruptibility. Only God can resurrect us from the grave and call us forth to life as He did Lazarus. And He will do that with a mighty and powerful word one day. He will say, not Lazarus, come forth. He will simply say, less. Come forth. And some will be raised after His image. Glorified flesh. 
because of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, we will stand as a mighty army, too many to count on all the globe. We will be there to His glory. Yes, Lord, Your servants here, we will say. And there will be the others. The others for whom this psalm was written as well. The other inhabitants of the world called to come and get wisdom from God eternal. They will not have listened. They will not have turned their ear to the sons of Korah. And they will come forth too in bodies not glorified as the Lord Jesus Christ, but bodies still marred and subdued by the marks of sin and misery. Oh, they will come forth to judgment, and He will pronounce upon them that curse, Depart from Me, as surely as He calls to His own children, Come, you who are blessed of the Father. At the end of the day, and in that hour of judgment, we will all know and hear that we could not even keep our own form and substance but for the grace of God. And that's because only God can redeem. God redeems the soul in verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol for He will receive me. There is an affirmation. An affirmation on the part of the sons of Korah. They stamp their feet in the face of all of this misery and greed and, and sin and corruption. And they look to heaven and trust in God that He will save their souls. And there's no one else who can save you. You must trust in Him alone if you are to have life everlasting with Him. And by implication... He also must redeem the body because, you see, we are human. Or as the Fringy say, humans. We are humans. The body and soul go together. We are not to be torn apart forever by death. We are to be put back together in the resurrection. And what goes with something kept by God and for God and glorified, but something else also suitable is its home. And so our bodies will be redeemed because body and soul are like two peas in a pod. You can never ultimately separate them forever. And then the psalmist ends with a terrifying set of verses in 16 through 20 as he speaks after redemption of punishment that God will punish the wicked. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generations of his fathers who will never again See light, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. There is one last, loud and horrible sound from this psalm. 
a minor chord that leaves us cringing and longing for a sweet note on which to end. And there it is implied. Man in his pomp without understanding is like the beasts that perish. But wait. What about man with understanding? What about man who has heard the word and wisdom of God? What about man whose ears have been unstuffed, whose scales have fallen off of their eyes by the grace of God, whose hearts have been strangely warmed, and they have been drawn to the Savior by the grace of God? Will they be like the beasts? Will they be struck down and forgotten? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sang this psalm from his childhood. Here he learned that man cannot redeem, but that God can redeem. And here he learned that we will surely undergo decay. But elsewhere in the psalms he learns, does he not, that he will not undergo decay. And so here, our Savior learned with his human mind and his human heart as he sang as a child and sought understanding from the Word of God declared that he was not just a man, that he was also God. God in the flesh. The Savior of the world. That is something worth singing about. That is something worth praising the name of our God. That is a really good song because it teaches us to trust in Him, our Savior and our Lord. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, We thank You that Your Word is true. And that that Word inspired through the prophets of old, that Word given to them by the action of the Holy Spirit, that Word given to them by the Spirit, poured out by the Father and the Son, even the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was a means by which his human mind was educated and his human heart was reassured as he faced the daunting calling of living and dying for sinners like us. We thank you that Jesus sang this psalm. We thank you that he calls us to sing it in him as well and that we can have confidence as we face the future as we face the finitude of our human lives as now we experience them, knowing that they are safely in the arms of Jesus, we can trust you even after death and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.